0: This episode of Lex Out Loud is brought to you by my patrons, readers, and listeners. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, visit lexstarwalker.com slash support. You're listening to episode 68 of Lex Out Loud, writing science fiction. I'm your host, Lex Starwalker. This show is a chronicle of my journey as a science fiction novelist. Hello everyone, and welcome back to the show. I am Lex Starwalker, and I am Out Loud coming at you again today with another episode. And this is going to be the finale episode of season three of the show. It's going to be the last episode of 2022. So yeah, we're we're gearing up for the the holiday season. So I hope all of you enjoy your, your holidays, whatever holidays you celebrate, if any. And, uh, yeah, gonna wrap up, uh, 2022 and, uh, yeah, after this, I'll, I'll be talking to you again in the new year. Yet another year is, uh, about to, uh, fade into the rear view and man, it's just kind of crazy. What, what happened in the last two years of our lives, everyone? (laughs) That's what I want to (laughs) know. Or three years, whatever it's been, I, I don't know um and and is my sense of time ever ever going to come back probably not but but yeah so uh like i said uh wrapping up season 3 of the show today with with this episode 68 and uh i have a couple things i want to talk about today and and just thought uh i'd catch you up on on where i'm at what i've been up to um maybe maybe do a little reflection since we're uh, nearing the end of the year here and the end of another season and yeah we'll just uh have some fun talking about writing and and writing things and yeah just uh kind of winding down for the year 2022 so i i was thinking about this the other day and and went back to look at the dates to be sure. And and I've been producing this show now for for two years, which it really doesn't seem like it's been that long. Um, And three seasons now of the show. And yeah, you know, next year we'll start season four. And so during the the two years since I started this show, yeah, I started out in in the beginning of that time period. I I did a lot of uh, research and, and world building on my setting and more recently, I've completed five drafts of, of my novel, Critical Balance Now. It's currently with the beta readers, and I'm preparing to submit to agents. And yeah, I'm I'm planning to start querying agents first thing in January, first week of January. And then once that process is underway, and, and I feel like my querying engine is a well-oiled machine then I will, uh, start working on, on the next novel. So yeah, I, I want to thank you for coming with me on, on this journey and, and sharing it with me. And, uh, yeah, I, I enjoy making this show and, and I enjoy, or I plan to continue enjoy making it. So I've been thinking about what I want to do, if anything different with, uh, season four of the show. Um, maybe i'll make some changes maybe i won't i'm i'm not sure right now i i've been uh, kind of just brainstorming ideas of of anything i could do differently or or maybe something new so if you have any feedback on the show this would be the ideal time to let me know if you have any ideas of topics i could i could cover or things i could do with the show or or any thoughts or feedback I'd really appreciate it. You can email me at Podcast at gmail.com or let me know in our Discord server. I've been uh, working on my query letter since the last time I talked to you for, for agents. So uh, a, a query letter is is kind of like a, a cover letter. Um, You know, if, if your novel were a resume, <laughs> the query letter is is kind of the cover letter for for that resume. It's where you... Uh, introduce the novel and yourself to a potential agent and you know you have you know 200 to 300 words less than a page to um, show them that that you have a a cool story to tell and, and that you're the one to tell it and and yeah convince them to to see more of of your manuscript so it's a pretty big deal And it's definitely something you want to get right. You can't make any mistakes. You can't have any typos or anything like that. And yeah, I uh, let's see. Today is, what is today? Today is Tuesday. So last Friday, um, I banged out the first draft, if I remember right. And then I kind of let it set over the weekend. And then yesterday, Monday, I did two more revisions of it and last night i sent out the third draft to a friend of mine and uh she's going to give me some uh some feedback on it uh, i already got feedback from my wife on it uh which helped me with uh, the couple of revisions i've already done and uh i might have a, another person or two that uh will be willing to look at it and give me some feedback but uh yeah i am uh, i'm well on the path to having that ready to go uh, first thing in January, so yeah that 's pretty exciting and it 's kind of funny. This is honestly what I expected, but it's it 's still kind of funny i I spent i don 't know the last week or two it seems like kind of thinking about the cover letter and or or the cover letter the query letter and what I wanted to say and and kind of the hardest part of the query letter is you have a paragraph or two to introduce. The novel and and to give almost like the, the trailer of of a novel, I think a really great analogy is to the trailer for a movie um you're You're trying to do the same kind of thing in a cover in a, i keep calling it a cover letter now in a query letter you know where you're you're telling the agent enough about the novel and what it's about to hopefully intrigue them and interest them and and make them want to hear more about it but you're not, you know, you don't have a lot of words, so you're not you're not explaining everything about the novel or telling how it ends or anything like that. So that is definitely I think the hardest part of the query letter. It's the most difficult part to write and it's also the most important part and the part that's going to either make you or break you because from what I've been seeing from agents if your uh blurb or or your trailer of your novel is good and you know they they like what they're seeing there then it doesn't so much matter what you do with the rest of the cover letter because they're going to want to see pages of your manuscript at that point as long as you don't do something to make yourself look like a total asshole or or a psycho or something and on the flip side if your introduction to the novel does not impress the agent or interest them, then it doesn't really matter what you say in the rest of the cover letter. It's not going to change their mind. So it's kind of interesting. There's you know maybe three to five pages to, to a query letter. And I know I keep calling it a cover letter now. Sorry about that. It's kind of the same thing. But you know you have three to five paragraphs in, in a normal query letter. And of those, one or two paragraphs are where your you know, introducing the novel and, and telling the agent what the story's about. And, and that's really the part that matters. You know, like I said, you can't screw yourself in the rest of the cover letter if you really try. But it, it's really that description of the novel that's going to make you or break you. And, and if you get that right, you know, the rest isn't so crucial. And if you don't get that right, the rest really doesn't matter at that point. So yeah, it's kind of kind of interesting. So yeah, I'd spent a couple weeks thinking about really that those couple paragraphs, like how am I going to summarize this novel or kind of introduce this novel in uh, as few words as possible while still um, hopefully making it enticing. And then you know, like I said last Friday, I finally sat down to write the first draft, and I banged it out pretty quickly. So I'm sure part of that was was that I had spent a lot of time thinking about it, but. Once I sat down to do it, it really really didn't take that long. And then, you know, I've spent more time revising it. But uh, compared to writing a novel, it's kind of nothing. Yeah, and apologies. This episode might be a little rambly. I I do have an outline here, but I'm also just kind of following a stream of consciousness here. But uh, yeah, like I said, it's interesting because um, I've been reading the the Query Shark blog today, or today, lately, the last few weeks, I've been reading it a lot. And uh Query Shark is is an agent in in the industry. And she has this blog, Query Shark, where she critiques query letters that that people send her and, and post them on the blog in an effort to help us all understand how to better write a query letter and and what to do and what not to do and and things like that. And you know, it's kind of interesting because From what I see people saying there in like the comments and, you know, what I see people say on social media about query letters, you know, it really sounds like at least a lot of writers find them like really hard and challenging and intimidating and almost kind of like this mystical, like you don't really know what the agent wants and, and you're taking shots in the dark, just trying to hit a bullseye or hoping you'll hit a bullseye. Um and that's how kind of how it sounds. You know, you hear people talk about it. It sounds like this horrible, just excruciatingly difficult thing and and you know, no one knows how to do one or or what's expected and and of course the reality is nothing like that. It's really not that big of a deal. Like I said, it's it's very similar to writing a a cover letter for a resume. If you've done that very much, then you know, th- this is very similar. And yeah, I was, I was thinking about it the other day because I, you know, I've done three drafts of my cover letter and I, and I'm not going to sit here and say that my cover letter, God, I keep calling it a cover letter. Oh my God. My query letter, I'm not going to say it's perfect or that it's the best query letter ever written, or even that it's a great query letter. I think it's good, hopefully good enough. So, you know, I'm not claiming to be an expert or the best query letter writer ever or anything like that, but it really doesn't seem like that big of a deal. And and I was thinking about it the other day, like, you know, and, and sure, you know, especially if you're talking social media, a lot of wannabe writers are are very prone to hyperbole. And and I don't know, again, I, I'm sure I've said this on the, the show before, but but the problem with social media and the problem with writing communities on social media is anyone can call themselves a writer. Anyone can get online and say that they're a writer and use a hashtag for a writing community and spout whatever they want to spout, it doesn't mean that they actually ever write. It doesn't mean that they actually have the slightest clue what they're talking about. And indeed, as, as someone who has been trying to engage with these writing communities for years now, it seems like the majority of people are not actually writing or even if they are, they're not doing it seriously and they don't know what they're talking about. They're not really writers. They're wannabes. They're they're not ever writing or they're very seldom writing. And even among the ones that are actually writing and are um, at least a little serious about trying to do it professionally, it seems like most of those are going the independent route. And you know, it, it seems like the, the vast majority of, of writers who are publishing independently or planning to publish independently don't really know what they're doing and don't seem terribly interested in learning. They just want to do what they want to do. And, you know, that's part of the reason they're independently publishing. So yeah, you know, you, you can, if you pay too much mind to what people say on social media, you can get some really weird ideas because you're mostly hearing from these people who aren't really writers or they're not serious about it or they're not actually doing it or they're not doing anything to learn more about it. They don't necessarily really know what they're talking about. So there's a lot of misinformation and there's a lot of hyperbole. And then there's just a lot of people who seem uh, to be very fragile and you know they get the slightest rejection or anything like that and and they like have a meltdown and, and can't seem to handle it. So you see a lot of that. And, and so it's easy to think <laughs> that that's the way it is. And that's how most people are just because that's what you're seeing on social media. But, you know, you don't know how many writers are not on social media or, you know, how many writers are are on social media, but they don't, you know, post or interact a whole lot. And, and indeed, the few writers I have found on social media that I've connected with that that seem like they're the real deal, they usually are not posting very much. In fact, most of them don't even post every day because, you know, they're actually writing. They're not spending all day on social media, you know, posting and reposting and all this stuff. So yeah, a lot of times it seems like the people that are the most vocal on social media are the people that are the furthest thing from an actual writer who's actually writing on a daily basis. So yeah, you got to really keep perspective and, and really question and be extremely spectacle, skeptical, spectacle, be extremely skeptical of, of what you hear people say online when it comes to writing, because yeah, it seems the loudest and most common voices are, are the ones that know the least what, what they're talking about and have the least experience. So, you know, that's where some of this is coming from, this the seeming perception that, oh, the query letter is such an agonizing thing and no one knows how to do it and blah, 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 blah. And of course, it's not really true. So that's a big part of it, is just, you know, people are prone to hyperbole and and the people you're seeing online are probably not the real deal. They're they're posers. <laughs> um, so that's a big part of it. But I was thinking about it the other day, and I'm like, you know, maybe another aspect of this is that, you know, I got a degree in anthropology and a big part of earning a degree in anthropology was doing research papers where i would read these big thick ethnographies that were not i mean they were you know science books they weren't written for the masses they were written for other anthropologists they were scholarly works it, and i would read numerous of these and and then write papers on them and and all this stuff and and do my own research and all this stuff and you know, this was at a university level. And in fact, I, I for one semester, I did an independent research project where the whole, quote, class was me working individually with one of my professors and, and doing my own research. And uh, I did a 50-plus page re- research paper on... Uh, actually, I did it on the Lakota Sweat Lodge ceremony, if you're curious what it was about. But uh, yeah, so when you when you come from a background like that where you've written research papers massive research papers at the college level where everything has to be cited and annotated and you have you know work cited and all this stuff and you've written a lot of cover letters for resumes to to get jobs Writing a query letter isn't that big of a deal. It it's like I said, it's very similar to writing a cover letter for your resume or your CV. And honestly, compared to writing a research paper for anthropology or anything else at the college level, it's pretty easy. And if nothing else, it's a lot shorter. So yeah, I you know, that's another thing I found myself wondering recently. I'm like, you know, again, people online, you don't know who they are, you don't know what their background is. And I'm like, I wonder how many of these people who are, you know, going off the deep end about query letters, you know, how many of them have never written a cover letter or have seldom written cover letters (laughs) or even a resume for that matter? How many of them have never written a college level research paper? You know, maybe a lot of them, maybe all of them. I don't know. But uh, I do suspect that, that a lot of these people that make it sound like it's so difficult do not have those experiences cuz cuz I think if you have had those experiences then you know it's not nearly so difficult and you know just the other day on social media I saw someone you know spouting that like nobody knows what agents want and nobody really knows how to properly write a cup or a query letter and I was like that's nonsense and I even told the person I'm I'm like this is like a very defeatist attitude I said there's actually tons of great information out there for those willing to do some research about how you write a query letter and what should be in it, what shouldn't, what agents want. And and I mentioned the Query Shark blog is just one such resource, and there are many. So uh, yeah, anyone saying something like that, they're either being hyperbolic or they haven't actually done any research and they don't know what they're talking about. Big surprise, someone online not knowing what they're talking about. So as I said, I've I've been reading Query Shark a lot lately. I don't, at this point, think that I'm going to submit my query to her. You know, something she asks that people do that I'd be willing to bet a significant amount of money most maybe no people actually do is to read all of the blog archives before you submit a query to her. And uh, she's been doing this since 2008. So I have been, for about a week now, I've been going through it and I started at the beginning and I just got into 2009 yesterday. So, and we're in 2022 now. So I guarantee you that 99% of the people submitting to her have not read every single one of those blog posts. In fact, I'd, I'd almost be willing to bet that none of them have, um, just because it would take weeks and weeks to do that. And And I really doubt most of these people or any of them are doing it. But I was like, well, I'm I'm very much one that follows the rules for things like this. And uh, so I'm like, well, I'm going to read them all before I even, you know, would submit, even though I'm not thinking and, and have never thought that I would really submit. And yeah, after reading a little over a year's worth of her posts, you know, I'm like, if I actually managed to read all these all the way to the current day, I seriously doubt that I'm going to have any questions You know, I mean, surely, let's see, 2008 to 2022, that's what, 14 years she's been doing this? Surely, after over 14 years, she has answered every possible question. She has at least once highlighted every possible mistake that you could make. So if you just do your due diligence and read the blog like she asked you to, and you pay attention and you remember what you read and you comprehend what you read, probably shouldn't need to send your query letter to her because it, it's all likely been covered numerous times. So yeah, and and uh, I've been learning a lot from, from reading this. And something that jumps out at me, and maybe this is something I can talk about more in another episode, but I'm not going to go into it today because I don't want this to get too long, is uh, how I'd say 99% of the mistakes I see her calling out on the blog that people are making in their query letters can fall into just a handful of categories of mistakes. So it's really just a handful of mistakes that people are making over and over and over again. And they're all really easy mistakes to avoid. So I don't think writing a good query letter is nearly as esoteric or unknowable as a lot of people would have you believe. You know, it's just, you gotta do the work. So uh, one thing that did jump out at me though, I think this was yesterday, reading her blog, it really made me think, and and this was something I wanted to bring up on the show today, is thoughts about voice. You know, when we talk about a writer's voice, there was this particular query, and and actually now I've seen two or three of them that were like this, where she was basically like, This is great. I want to read this book, you know. And and I think at least one of them, she actually asked the person to send her the manuscript cuz she thought she might actually represent it and in in these instances she has said that the reason that she's like this is great i want to see more is because of the voice and the first time i saw this i actually went back and reread the query letter cuz i'm reading you know her feedback and she's saying you know this has excellent voice and she says that voice is the number one thing she looks for After that is just your ability to write in a way that can be understood and, you know, your ability to write sentences that make sense and punctuate and spell things right and all that stuff. But the number one thing is voice. And uh, I had to go back and read the query again because I saw her talking about how, you know, this voice is excellent and right now I know I want to read this manuscript and I was like, wow, I, you know, I just read this query and I didn't notice anything particularly great about the voice. You know, I must have missed it. So I went back and reread it, and I was still a little mystified. I mean, this is very well written. I have no um, I have no notes <laughs> on how this is written. I don't have anything that I'd point out and say this is a mistake or this is poorly stated or anything like that. However, I also can't look at anything and say or point at anything specific and say, oh, here's here's the voice that Query Shark is, is uh, talking about. Here's this person's awesome voice. I'm like, really, if I had to try to define this person's voice, I would just say that the writing is very clear. It's very to the point. Um, there's not extraneous crap that doesn't need to be there. But that's it. I don't really notice a particular, quote, voice to speak of. So this really made me start wondering, especially after I saw a couple more query letters that were the same kind of thing, where Query Shark is saying, this is amazing voice, and, and this alone makes me want to read your manuscript. And I'm like, what? where is the voice? I'm not seeing it, you know, other than it's just well-written. So th- So this has made me start wondering now, do I even understand what voice is? I mean, I thought I did. But now I'm thinking I, I must not because, you know, here's an, an agent, a professional agent saying these people have, have amazing voice and, and I don't see any voice at all. So obviously I don't know what I'm talking about. So I do know that voice is a very ephemeral thing and that no one can tell you specifically how to develop your voice as a writer other than advice like read a lot, write a lot. Things like that, and, and to allow it to organically develop over time. But as far as, you know, here's 10 things to do to find your voice, you know, like no one has that. Like, e- even getting writers to define what voice is, you're going to get very different answers from different writers. And, and it gets, it's all pretty ephemeral, it's all very subjective. Now, personally, when I think of voice, I think of writing where I can hear the character thinking and speaking in my head. I think of writing that's maybe more poetic or more literary, if that's a valid term. And now I'm wondering if maybe I'm wrong about all that and I think I must be. So, this particular passage that Query Shark was talking about and others like it isn't at all poetic or quote literary or what I would consider either of those things. There's nothing especially distinct about how it's written that I can see. Other than, like I said, it's very clear. It's very easy to understand and it's concise. And it has just a nice flow and a rhythm to it. So is this voice? If it is, if that's what voice is, then I may have more of a voice than I thought and and a much more developed voice than I thought. I've always thought and assumed that developing a voice, developing my voice was this like advanced high-level thing that I haven't even gotten to yet, that I'm not even at that level, I haven't even started, or if I have, I've barely started finding my own voice. And and this is something that, that I will discover and figure out in the future as I get more experience as a writer. But now it seems possible, even likely, that I don't really understand what voice is and that I've actually been developing my voice all along without really realizing it. And that mine is, like I said, maybe a lot more developed than than I think. So I started looking today in preparation of this article. I'm like, you know, what do people have to say about voice? And I found this definition in a New York Times article, which this article is more talking about writing essays, but it's still applicable. I mean, voice is voice. So it says, a writer's voice is the way his or her personality comes through on the page. Via everything from word choice and sentence structure to tone and punctuation, and as I looked more, that seemed to be the common thread that I was finding. in you know, different people talking about voice and how they defined it, the, the common thread seemed to be that it's your personality coming through in the writing, or <laughs> the personality that you want to project in in your writing. Because this article uh, from the New York Times, which I'll link in the show notes. Was talking about how you might use a different voice for writing different things. Like you might have one voice for writing the cover letter for your resume, and another voice for writing an essay on, I don't know, the Lakota Sweat Lodge or something. And yet another voice when you're writing your science fiction novel, and yet another voice when you're writing a letter to a friend, and yet another voice when you're writing something on Mastodon, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, as a professional writer, or as an author, you may have different voices if you write different series or in different books, or maybe you write in different genres, or you may be someone that that has such a clear voice that you kind of have this distinct voice in everything you write. Side note slash tangent here, I I think Stephen King is a writer like that. Like he has a very distinct voice and every book he writes has that voice, even to some degree, I think to, to his detriment because for instance i'm i'm reading his book fairy tale right now and the main character of the book is a high school senior in the current day but he talks like and thinks like someone from my dad's generation maybe even older <laughs> And and that's just, you know, Stephen King's voice. I mean, he uses these old-timey phrases and slang that, you know, were probably super hip in like the 40s or the 50s or something, but now they just sound like your grandfather trying to be cool or something. And, you know, normally I don't notice it that much or or it's not a negative thing, but when he's trying to write an 18-year-old in 2022 and he sounds like my grandpa yeah it kind of throws me out of the story quite a bit, so yeah, you know that's that's an example of voice and i I definitely wouldn't say that Stephen King is poetic or especially literary or anything like that, so yeah maybe maybe that's kind of a window into what voice really is, um because with him, you know, I would say it is those things like like what this was just mentioning, like word choice, especially slang and 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 idioms and turns of phrase and things like that, and the tone and and things like that. So yeah, it, it's just really interesting. So yeah, I don't think uh, I, I had as good a handle on what voice even is as I thought I did. So this is something, you know, I'm I'm gonna look into more and learn more about and, and could be something maybe I'll talk more about on the show if if I have anything to say about and if people wanna hear it. All right, so the other thing I wanted to talk about a little bit today, and this kind of goes along with the last episode a bit, but kind of the process of writing a novel and 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 specifically writing one novel after another writing you know novel after novel after novel and i just found myself thinking about this lately and you know last episode i talked about revising versus drafting and and how you know those are kind of two phases of writing a novel and how when i'm in one of those i i tend to look through rose-tinted glasses at the other one, you know? So if I'm revising, I, I start thinking, oh man, I wish I was drafting, it's more fun. Or if I'm drafting, I start thinking, man, I wish I was revising, it's more fun. But there's actually more to writing a novel than just drafting and revising. And I was thinking about how you go through these phases or these stages in the writing of a novel and the editing and all that, and how, you know, if you're going to be a novelist, if you're going to be a professional writer, you know, how you do this over and over and over again. And I just thought it was kind of interesting. And I I thought I'd talk about my my thoughts on this a little bit. So if I look at the last novel I wrote, uh, Critical Balance, and I look at kind of the process that I went through to do that, the first stage or phase of that was research and world building. And I spent, I think over a year, might've even been two years, just doing research and world, world building, just coming up with things for my setting, researching things for it. Um, I'm writing science fiction and I'm trying to write realistic science fiction. So a lot of my research was into um, technology and science and, and things like that. And just you know, developing the setting, building it up, coming up with details about it. Uh, a big part of that for me was figuring out how far in the future it was and and kind of how I approached that was I looked at the technology I wanted to have in the setting as far as advanced technology that we don't have today, and then tried to extrapolate. You know how far in the future will we need to be for that technology to be available? And then I use that to inform uh, my decision, which which by the way, the the novel takes place in the year twenty two twenty two So that was the first step was research and world building. Now, as I start getting ready to prepare to write the next novel, which is right now, I'm thinking the next novel novel I write will be the second book in the series. I am returning to the research and world building. However, because it's the next book in the series and it uses the same setting, I'm not gonna be spending nearly as much time and energy on the research and the world building as I did for the first novel. I do have some things I wanna work on, uh, specifically things about the city, Union City, where the stories take place that I wanna flesh out more and just go into more detail on. And then, as part of that, there are some things I want to research a little bit, but uh you know, it's not a whole lot. It's just a few things that I want to do, nothing compared to the initial research and world building that that I did for the first book and to kind of develop the setting to begin with. so once you've done that and and you know different people are going to define these things different ways i'm I'm not trying to write a textbook here, uh, just kind of talk about the stuff um so you, so you could you know. Divide this up in different ways or, or, you know, call it different things however you wanted. But uh, after research and and world building, the next step is pre-writing or planning the novel. Now, this can look very different for different writers depending on, you know, the approach that a given writer takes. So for me, what that involved was coming up with my main character or characters, deciding on the specific location for the story, So, you know, my setting overall that I've developed for this is the solar system, our solar system, 200 years in the future. But I needed a more specific location for where is this book going to take place. So I decided to set it on a cylinder space station, Union City, in the year 2222. Another part of the planning stage for the novel was deciding on an inciting incident or a beginning situation to kick the story off and then deciding at what point to enter the story. So I decided, okay, this is the the situation that's, that's gonna be coming up in the beginning of the book that, you know, the book is gonna be largely about how the characters deal with this situation that arises and then deciding, okay, now that I know that, where do I want to start the story? Where's the best point to start telling the story about the situation and, and what happens? And then at that point, I chose, you know, once I knew what my beginning situation was, once I knew where I wanted to begin the story, I then chose a specific location within the city where I wanted the opening scene to take place. And then I started drafting. So... Yeah, the, you know, now, obviously, the research and world building could be considered part of the planning of the novel, or some people call it pre-writing, But other than that, you know, I spent a lot of time on that. But, but this other stuff, you know, it wasn't much. Come up with my main characters, decide on specific location, choose inciting incident, decide at which point to enter the story, choose the location for the opening scene, start drafting. So... Yeah. Now, if you're someone who's going to make some huge extensive outline before you start writing the novel, then you know, this might this phase might be a lot more involved than it than it was for me. So the next phase then is writing the first draft. And a lot of times this is what I think of as the my favorite part of writing a novel. I don't really know if it is, for sure it's hard to say because like I said my perception of what is my favorite part depends on where in the process I'm at, and and it changes. But if I have a favorite part, it probably is the, the first draft phase. So for this stage in the novel writing, I have a daily word count goal that, that I hit every day. Last novel, I started out writing five days a week, and then I went to six days a week, this next novel, I plan to start at six days a week, and I may go to seven days a week, we'll, we'll see. And when I'm writing the first draft, I, I keep going forward. I don't stop, I don't slow down, I don't go backward, which is to say I don't go back and edit or change things I already wrote. And I come up with things as as I need them, You know, whether that's specific locations in my setting or supporting characters I need, I just come up with stuff as I need it. And then as I go, as I write that first draft, I further flesh out the characters I use as I need to. And the same thing with locations. I As I use locations, I flesh those out. Then once I finish the first draft, the next stage is letting the novel rest. Um, for me, I think a, a good minimum here is six weeks. So I, I want it to go on a back burner for six weeks while I do something else think about other things so that i can come back to it with fresh eyes however that said i think actually 2 to 3 months is is ideal i did 6 weeks for critical balance and i think it was enough as far as a a minimum you know i wanted to get back into it but uh honestly the more time you can take off the better you know the 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 more time you take away from it before you go back to revise the more you can approach it with fresh eyes. The the more you're going to see what's really on the page instead of what you think you wrote on the page. And the more you're going to be able to look at it objectively. So the more time you can take off, the better. Six weeks minimum for me. And then after I've taken that time off, the next phase is revising. So first up is the second draft. So, for me, the second draft is a read through of a printed copy of the manuscript. I sit down on my couch with the manuscript and hard copy and a pen and a notebook, and I just read it, and I take note of any changes I see that I want to make as as I read through it. And then, yeah, I do as many revised revisions <laughs> I do as many revisions as i as I think I need. Uh, before I send it out to the alphas. Um, this last book, well, I, I kind of had two two phases of alphas. So the first group of alphas got the second draft and the second group of alphas got the third draft. Once I get feedback from the alphas, I get the manuscript back from the alphas, then I do one or more revisions as needed. Uh, this last book, I did two more revisions And then I sent the fifth draft out to the betas, which is the next phase. And then once I get the manuscript back from the betas, then maybe one or two more revisions as needed. And then that's the quote end of the process. At least for me now, that's the end of the process. Because at that point, once I've gotten the beta feedback, I've done a couple more revisions or whatever I need to do, you anyway, know, at that point, I've gotten it as good as I can get it, and now I start querying agents with it. And you know, at, for now, that's kind of the end, in, unless I get uh, feedback from an agent that that leads me to, to do another revision, uh, which could happen. Um, now, once I have a publisher, then this would be the point at which I would start working with the editors with the publisher on the manuscript and you know, make the revisions that, that they want me to make. Um, but for now, this is kind of the end of, of the process. And I really do find that I enjoy every stage of this process. There's things I just really enjoy about every step. Every stage has its own kind of feel and focus to it. You know, as I discussed in the last episode, there are things I like and don't like so much about each phase. But overall, I, I enjoy them all. I mean, I would hope that's the case, right? Because otherwise, this probably wouldn't be a great uh, career choice for me if, if I don't enjoy doing it. Now, like I said before, you know, things may change for you personally from this if you're more of a planner or an outliner than I am. But I think the overall gist, the overall flow of it is gonna be the same. You know, a novel goes through these distinct phases as you first conceptualize it, and then you write it, and then you rewrite it, and you prepare it for publication. Now, if you're independently publishing, then obviously there's going to be a lot more revising than than what I'm doing here or at least there should be. And also you're going to be working with at least one professional editor that you hire before you publish it or at least you should be. <laughs> so yeah, you know, that will be different too. But but still you're going to have these kind of discrete phases that you go through as you write the novel and as you rewrite it and, and all those things. And then when it, once it's done, you turn around and you start the whole process over with the next novel and, and you get to go through this all again. And, you know, I've only written two complete novels so far. So my experience is quite limited. My sample size is small, a sample size of two. <laughs> but at least so far, it has changed my process. And actually, it changed a lot between the first and the second novel. I've talked a lot about on the show before that my first novel, I had a very extensive outline. It was much more planned where this novel I just wrote, there was no outline. There has never been an outline. There there still isn't an outline. And uh, it was much more discovery written than than it was planned. Like I said, I, I started out with a beginning situation I had some ideas of some kind of general ways things might might go, uh, and that was it. And I just threw my characters at the situation and saw what happened. So I would guess that this next novel I write, write things will change some more, but probably not as much as they did between the first and second novel. I, I At least right now, I am intending to take a very similar, pretty much exactly the same approach uh, for the next novel as I did for this last one. Other than, like I said, I'm not going to be doing nearly as much world building first. But as far as how I wrote the first draft, I'm, at least right now, I'm I'm planning to do it the exact same way. Um, but we'll see. I suspect that, that as you write more novels, you know, you're always evolving as a writer and and your process is always evolving as you grow and learn more. So I would guess that most novel, you know, Maybe two novels you write in a row might be very similar, but but as you go through time, you know your process evolves and changes. I, I would think for most writers, so I'm I'm sure mine will too. But at least for now, that's that's kind of how it works for me. And yeah, it, it is interesting, and and it's interesting. I, I guess what I the last thing I kind of want to I don't know touch on here is the I don't know how to say it the kind of the emotional timbre of these different phases and, and how, at least for me, like I'm always excited about the book that I'm writing, but at different phases, the, the excitement takes on different flavors or it, it's different, you know? You know, you have a different kind of excitement when you're writing that first draft and you're continually discovering new things about your characters and and discovering, you know, what happens next is very exciting and is a different kind of excitement than when, for instance, you're revising the novel and you're excited about the changes you're making and the improvements and, Oh, you know, this draft is going to be so much better than the last one was, you know, which is also very exciting, but it, but it's a different kind of excitement. And then, you know, as you're getting feedback from your alphas and your betas, you know, that's exciting in its own way too. And then, now it's kind of funny where I'm at now is I'm getting excited to be done with it. You know, it's it's like I've I've done f- five drafts of this novel. It's right now it's at 116,000 words, so it's a pretty meaty novel. And I've read it at least five times myself and and revised it four times after the first draft. And uh yeah, I'm getting a little tired of reading it at this point. I'm I'm you know, I'm sure when I get an agent and or, or, well, maybe not when I get an agent, but definitely when I get a publisher, I mean, they're going to want me to revise it probably several more times. And, you know, I will happily do so at that time. But, but for right now, I'm, I am looking forward to moving on to something else and, and starting something new um, just because I have been just um, submersed in, in this novel for, you know, well over a year now and uh you know it's not so much the drafting aspect for me like like it, when i finished the first draft there was no sense of i'm sick of this story now or or anything like that but it's for me it's more a thing that comes along you know about the fourth or fifth draft you know when you've just revised this thing over and over and and you've read this same book you know five times now and you're just kind of like okay i really hope this is it for a while because I'm I'm ready to write something new and read something new and and yeah, you know, I'm I'm not one to read books over. There are very few books that I have read more than once. And probably 90 plus percent of those books are The Wheel of Time, which I've read the entire Wheel of Time probably at least four or five times. And then some of the earlier books I've read even more off more than that. Um but other than those books, there aren't many books that i've that i've read more than once i'm I'm not one that usually enjoys rereading a book i've i've already read i I also don't tend to rewatch movies uh that much anymore either so yeah, you know it might be a little different if you're someone that'll read the same book four or five times you know maybe the revising wouldn't be quite so um hard on you and you wouldn't quite get so sick of it by the end. But, but then maybe you would because, you know, revising is a lot different than just reading a book for fun. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just interesting to me, this creative process, because I, I think what makes writing a novel so interesting is it takes so much time and it happens over such a long period of time you know and and in that way it it seems different than a lot of other creative endeavors or at least ones that that I have any experience with you know for instance i've i've written songs before and i don't know probably the most i spent working on a song i was writing was maybe a few weeks at most probably not even that maybe it's probably more like a number of days and you know each of those days you're working on it you know probably less than an hour, right? It's not a lot of time that goes into it compared to writing a 116,000 word novel. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting. Just the the amount of time that goes through it and kind of this journey that you go through as as you go through these, you know, these different stages where where it starts out as just, you know, the glimmer of an idea and you're not sure where it's going to take you. And then you write that first draft and you're you're discovering the story as you go and you finally get to the end and you're like, oh, now I know what the story is. Then you turn around and you revise and you revise and you revise, just polishing and honing that story and making it as strong as you can, bringing out themes, all those kinds of things. And then you're getting feedback from readers on it and then doing still more revisions and then eventually you get to the point where where you're done or at least done for now. And then, yeah, you turn around, rinse and repeat and do it all again. And yeah, it, it's interesting. Now, I haven't actually gotten to the end. I, I mean, I guess the end for writing a novel is when it's actually published, right? Because that's at the point, that's the point where you're done with it. And you're not going to do any more revisions or anything like that. And, you know, I haven't gotten to that point yet. So maybe maybe when I do finally get to that point, maybe that will be a bittersweet kind of moment where it's like you're a little sad that it's over. It's like, oh, I'll never you know be working on this novel again. You know, this chapter of my life is over now. And, and there might be kind of a bittersweet element to that. I, I kind of expected that already to kind of have this bittersweet kind of nostalgia of like, oh man, I'm winding down on this book and I'm gonna miss working on it. But yeah, at least now there, there's, it's just sweet. There's no bitter to it. I'm, I'm looking forward to not having to revise this book anymore and, and being able to do something else. But yeah, maybe maybe when it's finally done done with a capital D, maybe then I, I will have those feelings of nostalgia and like, oh man, I'm gonna kind of miss working on this. But then again, maybe not so much as I'm intending to do a series. So you know it's a little different than when you write a standalone novel and and you finish that and it's like well I'm never going to use these characters again I'm never going to use the setting again you know I'm completely done with it so that's a lot different than you know like my situation where you know I plan to do a series of novels and so I'll still be using the setting I'll still be using a lot of the same characters and so, you know, I'll be saying goodbye to this particular book and this particular story, but I won't be saying goodbye to the characters and I won't be saying goodbye to the setting. So, you know, maybe that will eliminate that kind of bittersweet aspect to it uh, because it's not like I'm leaving all that behind forever. Where, you know, when you finally end a series or, or you end a standalone book, you know, it might be more like, oh man, I'm going to miss these characters, I'm going to miss this setting and things like that. I'd be curious for for writers who are published and are successful professional writers who've had numerous novels published, I'd be curious if they ever end up writing a sequel to a novel they didn't initially plan just because they end up missing that novel. You know, like they write a standalone novel, they have no intention of ever doing a sequel and, you know, the novel's release is published, people read it, people like it, and the writer finds himself missing that novel and missing those characters, missing the setting, and it's doing well, so they're like, hey, you know what, maybe I can revisit this and write a sequel, when before they, they had no intention of doing that. I wonder, I wonder if that ever happens, and if so, like how common that is, how often that that happens that you just you just kind of miss it after a while and you decide to return to it. I mean, if I had to guess, I'd guess it it's not unheard of, maybe even fairly common. I don't know. Especially, you know, when that um when that is matched with the novel, the first novel being successful, right? You know, if the novel's really successful and it sells a lot of copies, then the publisher's probably going to be open to the idea of doing a sequel, um, and may even suggest it or encourage you to do it. So, you know, obviously that's a very different situation than a novel that you publish that, you know, maybe it did okay, but not great. And you decide you you kind of want to do a sequel and the publisher is like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> don't know if uh, that would be a good investment or not. So yeah, I don't I don't know. That that might influence it a bit. Probably does. But uh these are things I think about. So yeah, you know, it, it's kind of uh in a way it it's kind of serendipitous that for this the last episode for twenty twenty two, I have written my query letter and uh probably, hopefully, when you hear me next on episode sixty-nine for season four of the show, I will be querying agents at that point and I would think that by the time you hear the next episode I will have sent out my initial queries to some agents and I will be eagerly awaiting their response <laughs> or lack of response. So uh yeah, it kind of worked out nice. So yeah, again I'm I'm trying to brainstorm to see if there's anything creative I could do with the show next season or just something a little different, kind of, you know, freshen things up a bit. But uh yeah, if you have any thoughts or ideas, definitely let me know. But uh you know, one thing I, I think that that will most likely happen is is I'll probably talk about my experiences of querying. You know, this is a, a new thing for me. And I was just talking with my wife about this the other day. It's very surreal. Because I've been thinking about and preparing for querying agents for I don't know, something like 13, 14 years now, something like that. Um, it's been a long time that I've had this as a goal of something I want to do someday. And after all this time to finally be here about to do it, it's surreal. Um, it's pretty surreal. But uh I'm excited. I'm I'm uh, I'm excited to uh to move into this next phase and yeah, start working on the next book. I'm really looking forward to that. And yeah, hopefully, I mean, I, I'm prepared for the long haul. You know, I, I am prepared for, you know, the possibility that I will have to query hundreds of agents that it will take possibly years, but I, I'm also hopeful that it won't take that long. And that would be awesome to, uh, be able to find find an agent fairly soon. And, and then, you know, be looking for a publisher and, and, you know, be really, uh, hitting the ground running with the next book that that'd be really awesome. But, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what the new year brings. So I wish, uh, the best to you, my friends, uh, again, enjoy this holiday season. I I hope that, uh, you all Enjoy some, some rest and relaxation. Uh, recharge your creative batteries. Take some time off. Um, spend some time with your loved ones. And uh, yeah, just enjoy life as much as you can. And uh, yeah, stay warm, stay safe. And I'll see you in the new year. If you would like to reach me, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at lexoutloudpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Mastodon at lexstarwalker at zirk.us. That's at lexstarwalker at z-i-r-k dot u-s. Follow me on Mastodon. Join me there for an ad-free, fascist-free, Nazi-free experience. I really love Mastodon. I'm I'm having a lot of fun there. It's a great place to connect with other writers and nerds and science buffs and whatever you're into, knitters, (laughs) all kinds of stuff. Um, Let's see. You can also call my voicemail, 951-465-5391. And finally, you can join our community on Discord and uh, connect with myself and other listeners and writers there. Uh, You can find links to our Discord community and my other contact stuff in the show notes at lexstarwalker.com slash LOL. So have a happy new year, everyone, and happy holidays. I will see you in 2023 for season four of Lex Out Loud. And until then, keep writing.